Hello, Stephen Dan Fouts here. We're veteran educators from Illinois who've created the Teach Different podcast to model how to have unforgettable conversations using a super simple three-step protocol and quotations from some of the world's great thinkers. This protocol works with students of all ages and all types of classrooms and can be used in online or face-to-face -face environments. So if you're a teacher, administrator, social emotional learning specialist, or anybody who loves the art of conversations, you've come to the right place. Welcome. All right, welcome everybody for the Teach Different episode this week. We are very excited to have Laura Berlin and Evan Harrell here from the Center for Compassionate Leadership. And they are in such an interesting line of work. Um, and we're really, really happy that they decided to come on the show and share their wisdom and kick around a really interesting quote from the Dalai Lama, which we're going to get to in a moment. But first, we'd like Laura and Evan to just provide a, an introduction to, uh, to what they do. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us. It's such a joy to be here and to talk about the intersection of compassion and leadership. And it's such a perfect time to do this because of course the world has been just a little chaotic. And as we're emerging into the next phase of how we're all gonna show up in life and in work and our communities and in our families, um, compassion is an essential component of how we will all be able to grow and flourish in this new time. And we're really excited to be here with you because compassion is both something that is innate to all of us and it's something that we can practice and we can learn. And what we aspire to do really is through, through our teaching is to try to help people begin to gain a deeper understanding of compassion. And as Laura said, the intersection of compassion with leadership. And, um, and we think that we'll all be better off for that. That's great. I mean, that's such an important, important focus. And, you know, as educators, you know, Steve and I are constantly um, met with the challenge of how to be compassionate leaders in the classroom. You know, because it, it starts with the youth, of, of course. So the, the challenges you shared are things that we deal with as well. So um, this is great. Again, thank you so much for, for being here. And uh, let's, let's jump right in. This is where we have deep thinking and, and conversation. So here we go. This is from the Dalai Lama. And I'll, it's a little bit longer, so I'll be repeating it several times during the podcast so our listeners uh, keep it fresh in their mind. A disciplined mind leads to happiness, and an undisciplined mind leads to suffering. Mm. Okay, so the way this works, Evan and Laura, is we, we walk through what we call the Teach Different Protocol for Conversations, where we start with a quote, and now we're going to unpack, you're going to do this with us, what is the Dalai Lama saying here? from your personal experiences and your line of work. And then about halfway through, Steve and I through telepathy will decide, all right, it's time to push against this quote. What is a counterclaim against what he's saying that's equally reasonable? Mm 
This is where the critical thinking comes in and the understanding of different perspectives. And then we'll end with an essential question. So that's, that's the protocol. So I'll read it again, and then I'll let Evan and Laura, you guys can just weigh in. A disciplined mind leads to happiness, and an undisciplined mind leads to suffering. What a great quote, and thank you for letting us uh, to be here with you to, to converse on it. I think we have to start this conversation with thinking about what it means one, what does discipline mean and what does the disciplined mind mean? And, and when we hear the Dalai Lama talk about this, we think of control as discipline and control that arises out of an ability to understand what you want to do and then, then being able to do it. And when it comes to a disciplined mind, it, 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 it refers to we think the ability to place your mind, place your attention and focus it at the place where you want it to be focused. Um, on the other hand, an undisciplined mind is, is one where we let our emotions and our feelings direct us off elsewhere, away from the present moment, away from what truly is, and get into a whole wide range, range of thinking. And an undisciplined mind is, is one that, that allows distraction to, uh, to redirect our attention. Yeah. And even though from an evolutionary standpoint, we are programmed to be distracted, on alert, on threat alert all the time, you know, in this modern day and age, what has amplified our distraction, of course, is our technology and the alerts and the bells and the buzzes and the bangs and the knock-knocks that are coming all day long that pull us away and pull our attention and our focus away from where we want to direct our energy. And energy follows attention. It's very critical to keep focus, to keep discipline as the Dalai Lama says, it's a little intimidating to actually comment <laughs> on the Dalai Lama's quotation, but um, it is the one that, that we um, adored most because he, of course, is a champion of compassion and compassionate living. I really like the way both of you unpack that, you know, and I didn't think of the word focus as kind of a, a, a synonym or a, Another way to say discipline, I think focus is a good way to, to explain what he's trying to say, right? We, we've got the distractions. We can think about anything at any time. We are free on a lot of different levels. But ironically, when it comes to happiness, he's saying that you got to keep a focus to you. You know, it, when I picture introducing this quote, like to a classroom, I would probably circle just as you did the words discipline and undiscipline. And you, you know, you could almost have a conversation uh, on its own about what that really means to have a disciplined mind. I'm thinking of adolescents 
their association with what discipline means mm. is probably a little different perhaps than Dalai Lama's and what he's trying to say. So it's going to depend on your audience, essentially, uh, on, on how you'd unpack that, those, those words. I, th I thought that was a really good way to, to start it off, though. Focus is what I'm, I'm, I'm focused on <laughs> from what you said. <laughs> And I, I completely agree with, with adolescents. The, the, the first big hurdle you have to get over is discipline, is punishment, is de-haul. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a it, negative. It's, it's, an, it's an action that is it's punishment, really. Exactly. Yeah. But, but discipline, in, in this way, the, the word means something different. But even then, the, 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 the idea of discipline as what... Uh, you know, what athletes do. Strong athletes are well-disciplined, but it has such a, such a, uh, I think a history in our sort of puritanical American way that the discipline is, it's like this, this is what you must do. And if you do not do it, we have ways, you know, and discipline is more about being aligned with what is truly here in front of us. And, and it is actually at its deepest point what what we want to be doing and that's what you need the deepest the disciplined mind is to be able to recognize the authentic self and and for adolescence i mean this is actually a wonderful time to introduce it because they're really going through and will be for years in fact this whole question of of who am i and and what does this mean and so what they often seek is that external, and, and as we adults still do, external validation, which is a, a sign that is, that is not part of a disciplined mind, because ultimately what the Dalai Lama is talking about is finding this discipline within one's own mind. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really good. That's really good. I'm thinking to my first day of class in August, and I haven't, you know, seen lots of students in my class for an entire year. It's been a yeah. it's been a year of loss. You know, I teach high school in the Chicagoland area, suburban high school, really good district. And my first challenge, in fact, I think I'm going to devote the entire first day to their phones. And what are we going to do about their phones? And I'm going to start, I, I have these pockets in the room that I hang, the 33 pockets. And I'm going to start by saying, and I'm going to use this quote, I think I'm going to use this quote, actually, and just <laughs> say, I am going to lead the way and discipline my mind. Yeah, it's focus. It's not a pain. It's not a negative. And I'm going to put my phone in the number one pocket. And then I'm going to have every student come up and do that as their first gesture of well, compassion to themselves and, and to the class. Yes, I would actually, I love that idea. And I would almost offer it as a gift to themselves, as a gift to themselves to, I mean, getting into this wholeness, this quiet, this space of uh, I'm not going to say bliss yet, especially as they're teenagers. <laughs> um, but this place where we really can be with our deeper selves, that place is 
available to us only if we clear away all the distractions, only if we bring our attention and focus and our intention, our intention to be present, to be still, to be clear. That's what, that's what insight is. That's what clear-mindedness is. And if they want to uh, discover, I mean, this is the greatest exploration of all time. <laughs> As you saw, I worked for famous astrophysicists for many years. We talked about what's in the great heavens and out in the universe. The biggest, the biggest universe is right inside your own being. And I think what kids today are lacking is the opportunity and the space and the invitation to come home to themselves and to discover that deep, quiet place within them that will give them the source of love and compassion for themselves, which is the hardest thing at that age. How do I love myself? How do I feel good about myself? Period. End of story. It doesn't matter who's around me. It doesn't matter what anybody's saying about me. Just where do I source all of that truth from? It has to come from inside themselves. Right. And, and it's I mean, so well said, you know, and discipline might be kind of a harsh word. You might think of rules and obeying things and punishments. Mm -hmm. But if you read the quote, who is disciplining your mind? You are. Mm -hmm. It's different when you're the one disciplining yourself. There's a different like satisfaction from that. And I think that adolescents and probably adults, most adults associate discipline as an external thing. You know, whereas when you realize that it's an internal thing and it has all these great benefits when you do it in the right way it is something you could fall in love with. You know, you fall in love with yourself and your power really, right? So yeah, it, it's, uh, it's an inspiring, this is, it, it's an inspiring quote. I mean, and the undisciplined mind, you know, how would you, I don't know, how would you characterize why an undisciplined mind may, may put you in a pretty unhappy place? Like, how would you, how would you share that side of this quote? Well, the opposite of being present to where you are, to the moment that you're in, is being distracted and being off. And when we do that, and as, as, as Laura said, this comes out of an evolutionary point of view. When we do that, we ruminate, we worry, we think about, oh, gosh, these are my problems. Why did they happen? What did I do wrong? We start to beat ourselves up. We start to catastrophize. Oh, it's going to get worse. You know, he's never going to talk to me again. She'll, she'll, you know, she's saying bad things about me to all of, all of our friends. And, and, and our mind just goes, goes to these horrible places. That is the undisciplined mind, which is the opposite of being present to what is right in front of us. And as and, and there's a reason for this. We did not evolve from the relaxed, chill monkeys. We evolved from the monkeys who were always worried 
on the lookout. They saw danger around every tree. And so this is part of, of what we have within us. And we evolve to a higher level. So we have the ability to go beyond those reactive thoughts and move to a higher level of, of thinking and thought process. And that is, again, uh, takes practice. It takes awareness. It takes discipline. Yeah. And there are lots and lots of uh, scientific papers about why rumination does not lead to happiness very specifically um, and why bringing your attention to a point of focus and having that level of concentrative ability is um, an opportunity to really open up because we have to overcome that negativity bias. We have to be intentional about being positive, holding on to positive, savoring positive, and that's a mindset and that's a discipline. And we have to recreate the neural pathways, which automatically draw us into the negative zone and sort of push ourselves into this level of positivity so that the brain starts rewiring. And of course, that's the beauty of neuroplasticity and all the things we know from neuroscience in the past 20 years. And, and I want to I want to add two quick comments about about social media and our devices and our phones. The first is, Dan, the brilliance of you having everybody put their phones in the in the 33 slots. The beeps and the bells are programmed to trigger our fears. They know the 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 people creating the devices and the apps know exactly how to zap our amygdala so that we're immediately triggered. The second thing is, this is uh, what we see on social media is not reality. When we spend all of our time looking at Instagram or TikTok, we're looking at everybody else's highlight reel and comparing it to our everyday life. And that is not reality. And that just contributes to further challenges and unhappiness based on you know, the, the, the science that Laura was referencing. Very, very interesting. And back to the the idea of that the undisciplined. I, I, you you made me think of something for the first time, which is rumination and reflective thinking. I usually associate that with being peaceful and being present, being you know okay, regenerating yourself, just thinking about things, but. But in truth, that's actually where the devil comes out to play. You know, it, it's really more about a focus into something that's the discipline, right? That's going to lead to that, that happiness. You know, if I'm understanding the Dalai Lama right, I'm a 20-year teacher as well. I'm a, I'm a veteran teacher. Now, I'm, I was in Chicago as well. Dan's in the suburbs. I'm not in the classroom now, but I was a teacher in on the west side of Chicago. So I was in some of the most um, challenging underserved neighborhoods in the city. And I got a chance to, on a daily basis, you know, deal with students who were drifty. They were, they were all very um, 
uh, it was difficult to get their attention and get their focus. Even if you taught a good lesson, they would forget, um, you know, because they're experiencing the trauma that they always have to watch their back. They're in that survival mode you were referring to, Evan, you know, and, you know, it's hard to give them the advice just, hey, no, focus on one thing here, because the minute they start doing that, they're starting to worry about their externals again. So they feel they always have to be ready to be distracted. Anyway, it's not conducive to learning, as you can imagine. And I'm now thinking of it in a different way because of, of the way that you've, you've put this. I don't know if that made sense. Totally, because the most fundamental thing we all require as humans to function in the most basic fashion is safety. And, and I mean, we've already talked about you know, neuroplasticity and, and, and neural growth the, in the specific cases that, that, that you're talking about, Steve, in, in, in the neighborhoods where you were teaching, the, the, the inability of the brain to develop in the same way um, as uh, children of the same age who do have extended periods of safety, extended periods of time where their brain can actually wire to be able to do more complex tasks, yeah. No, I, I, um, I before um, coming into this work was running inner city preschools in Houston, and um, it's uh, it, it's it's such an it's such a critical time for them for their brain development. And um, yes, I I thank you for the work that you did, and 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 what you just what you just expressed, by the way. Is, is a very valuable form of compassion because it requires an understanding and a connection to the students and a desire and an interest to help relieve the challenges that they're facing. So we salute your compassion, Steve. Well, hey, I salute yours. Um, and it's not easy, right? It's not just adolescents that struggle, right? If you haven't gotten this, you're gonna be in the workplace and you're 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 not going to be functioning at your optimal capacity. So, and, and as we come to the the new school year, the, all of education is going to be in a funk. This next school year, it's going to be a situation where the adults and the kids have been in this weird sense of trauma from a pandemic, and everybody has to relearn. Their brain has to relearn how to talk. I'll never forget, it was in early March, I had about maybe 10 students in one of my classes, which was a huge day, by the way, in person. And a student came in and I was listening, the corner, you know, just I, one ear to, to them, they didn't know I was really listening. And one of the students told another said, I forgot how to interact with, <laughs> this was a senior in high school, she did you didn't know how to how to interact. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit of a tangent, but it just it's a it's a sense for how difficult it's going to be for them to discipline themselves to learn new skills because they've been so used to the distractions. Yeah, and I will I will just add that it's it's all of society because we were unglued from our basic uh ways of interaction and the social cues you know we were all doing the best we could through zoom but it still doesn't um 
really replicate the kinds of cueing that we get by being in person with each other. And the words, as you know, are just a portion of the communication. It's the way the facial expression works or the body language or, you know, the energetic enthusiasm that somebody brings to the table. And there's just so much that we all, you know, it, it, there, there's a lot of that conversation and leadership in business and organizations as well. And, and I hope that your administrators and the, the, the people at the state level setting the, the guidelines are going to recognize that this is going to have to be a different year. We've got these benchmarks that say, you know, we, a, a 12th grader should know this or an 11th grader should know this, but they don't have to throw everything out the window, but they do have to show a little bit of adaptability and flexibility to recognize that this is going to be a different time. And we've, we've lived through wars before. We've lived through, you know, other major crises. So we can do this if we're willing to um, uh, exert, use a disciplined mind to approach a very challenging problem and not pretend that, oh, we're going back. Everything's back to, you know, the way it was. Yeah. And I would add to that, Evan, giving people a voice in the conversation. And this, this is one of teach difference. Like we're trying to say this to the world. You don't have to complicate this. You need to get everyone together, give them a voice, practice listening skills, practice the empathy. You know, we're going to have a wonderful new generation of leaders that could emerge from a situation like this, in my opinion. And, and we have to you know, take advantage of it, I guess, right? This is our time to focus. This is our time to reinvent, to, to discipline ourselves is maybe one way to look at it. What do you think? I'll be the, the Mr. Counterclaim. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's switch this up. Now, we always say- Read it again, Steve, just to absolutely. remind everybody. We, we, here's, here's the quote again. A disciplined mind leads to happiness. And an undisciplined mind leads to suffering. When we talk counterclaim, you can take a different approach. You can take multiple approaches to a counterclaim. You could just say, well, in what way does an undisciplined mind not always lead to suffering? Or you could say, in what way does a disciplined mind not always lead to happiness? There's different ways to take it. You know. I'd love to hear your thoughts, either of you on this, Dan, of course, you too, but this is really what we want to bring out here. This is the critical thinking part here of the conversation that really gets it, gets the depth to it. So mm. Laura and or Evan, feel free. Give me a counterclaim. Now we know you picked this quote because you agreed with it. So this is going to be hard. <laughs> right, right. So um, I'll jump in first. I think, I think the first counterclaim is that um, suffering has always existed. It exists for everyone, and it always, always will. Um, you know, the sun shines on everyone equally. The disciplined mind, the undisciplined mind. The rain falls on everyone equally. So the idea that, well, I think the counterclaim is that, uh, that, everyone 
whether they have a disciplined mind or not, will find themselves to suffer. No, I agree completely. And the um, the opportunity to turn the suffering into learning, into development, into resilience. Dan, what are you thinking? I would go the route. Well, a disciplined mind leads to happiness. The, the, the implied premise there is that happiness is something you can control. I mean, I can see a lot of kids saying, I don't control my happiness. Happiness is determined for me by events that happen to me. So I, some kids would say, well, if this, this, and this happens in my life, I can be as focused as I want to be. It's not going to help my overall happiness. So I think in a, in a classroom, or we're talking about a classroom, but in an adult setting, if this was brought up in an adult setting, you would get a sense for the people who feel a little bit powerless in the world that they cannot control their own happiness. And I think that that's a legitimate uh, counterclaim. Sometimes your situation makes it too difficult. Great point. And what the last... Uh year and a half has taught us is basically that none of us control anything. And so we have to look beyond that aspect of control and just be willing to accept our circumstances and do the best with what we've got at that moment. And, um, yeah. And I think that, I think that that again, getting getting back to your point, Steve, about agreed upon definitions, what does happiness mean? Because I think that if you think happiness means blue sky and a warm sun, then you know half the time you're going to be happy and half the time you're going to be cloudy. But if if it means that you are able to be breathing in air, fresh air that has been that has been Im impacted by the weather outside in unbelievable ways that are so far beyond our imagination that then perhaps when it's raining or humid or cold, we could still be happy. It's, it's when we, we believe that we attach a meaning to happiness that is equated with pleasure equated with a specific type of pleasure. And, and that's where I think that, um, that, that, that we, we get a little bit confused, but, but that counterclaim is completely valid based upon on the, uh, the, the, the normal way that we think of what happiness is. Yeah. We're conditioned to want stuff. That's right. And the, and the blue skies forever, right? I just saw a connection between Laura and Evan, what you just said, because Laura, you were bringing up this idea. Well, Evan, let me start with you. If we are going to define happiness as more of a, it's almost like a rethinking of what it is that, that gives us peace or gives us joy. It's not always a smile. Um, it, that made me think of Laura, what you were saying as far as accepting things and tolerating things. Like, it's not that we create a happiness. We don't create a smile. We, we focus on what the really important things are. And you can have a cloudy day. 
and that can make you fulfilled. You know, it, it, so I saw, I see a connection now between the definition of happiness and this idea of accepting things instead of, you know, working too hard to do any one thing. Yeah. I, I'm just in the middle of writing a, an article about slowing down because along with the getting stuff, succeeding, da, 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 you know, what we're all conditioned to, we do it too fast. We're overscheduled, we're overdemanded, we're overstressed, we're overwhelmed. And the only way to find that level of, I would almost uh, replace the word happiness with contentment. You know, how do we find contentment with our presence in this moment, with our being on this earth, with our ability to, as Evan said, breathe the air in and breathe the air out? That's what we've got. Um, and, you think and it would be the easiest thing in the world, right? Just accept. But our mind clouded and we're thinking too much and we're we're, we're getting distracted and that discipline is, it's almost like a going back to the start or, or it's it, a reduction, right? I'm it, trying to... it, it, yes, yes, yes. It is a simplification back to the core essence values of what it means to be human, what it means to be connected, what it means to be safe and what it means to belong. And when we get down to those very simple, as you said, simple things. And yet these are the hardest moments when people have this experience of clarity, of insight, of stillness, you know, it's like, oh, oh my God, how do I, how do I get more of that? Because we are so, we, this is just our modern world. We have lost all of that. I mean, go back, you know, on, on Walden Pond even. <laughs> It was hard to find all of that 150, 200 years ago. And it's still, it's still hard, hard, hard. And it takes that intention and focus. To, to bring in another interesting word like with little philosophy in Aristotle, Aristotle talked about human flourishing. I, I love the word flourishing. We can't flourish. It's not really happiness. It's we can't be the best of who we are if we don't have a disciplined mind. And you know, Aristotle was all about doing things, right? Developing the right habits of thinking and that creates the virtue and then the peace. Hmm. Maybe the focus. And, absolutely. And, and I think that that's important for teachers to do with their students to try to, because so much of what, um, what gets measured is uh, is slightly it's it's close but it's slightly off center from flourishing for for students and and we do in our work with organizational cultures we focus on on compassion as a means to creating an environment of flourishing and and I would say the other the other distinction and it, I think it's it's part and parcel of what what you just say Dan is is it is the difference between hedonic pleasure and eudaimonic pleasure and and it is it is that that deeper and it's when we get aligned with 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 our own individual purpose with our own individual authentic self not the self that we want to project because it will it, it we believe it will cause other people to like us which is why 
what Laura said, we, we need to feel safe. We need to feel that we, we belong and that, uh, and, and that we are respected and, and will be heard and seen for whomever we are. That's basically most of what we all need and to be loved. And is, am I right in saying that that's really the DNA of compassionate leadership? Like if you're not a compassionate leader, your followers or the people, they're not going to ever be able to achieve that state. You've got to provide that framework for them where they can just, you know, self-actualize, right? And then, then we're, but it's so missing now. Um, mm. um, I, I, you know, I, I could talk to you for hours about really how do you create compassionate leaders? Like if you want to give me a, a phrase or something to remember, I would love to hear it, but what, how do you do it? How do you, how do you foster that? You start with yourself, you embody compassion <laughs> and you learn to, to do that inner work. Step one, step two, and <laughs> and and you treat yourself with self compassion. Yeah. Uh, when when you start with yourself, it's it it starts with the self compassion, which is the hardest thing for almost everyone to do. And um, you create cultures. You till the soil. Just what you said. You give people a framework, a container of safety, belonging, and connection, so that they are able to flourish as individuals, as teams, and as organizations. And that goes to communities, nations, <laughs> you know, and so forth. Because everyone feels that they are aligned within themselves and with the greater purpose. You have to have those two things. And it's the leader's job to inspire by living in an embodied way, a compassionate way of being and model that for people and uh, train people. We still all need so much training on how to, as you, as you said before, how to listen, how to give feedback, how to support each other. So there's a lot of that that goes into the mix and then allowing people the space to grow and helping them appreciate that they're, they don't fail. We just keep working and learning and trying iterating and, and learning and learning and learning. And we take what we learn and we, you know, we iterate and make things better. And we appreciate each other along the way. We don't just appreciate the outcome. We appreciate the effort. We appreciate the intention. We appreciate whatever it is that people put into their work and not just, you know, what came out at the end of the project or the term. We have fun doing it. Most importantly, we have fun. We yeah. play. You have to play. If there's no space for play, the brain gets. Yeah, and, and, and Plato said that. Plato said learning is all about play. That's where it happens. Sorry, Dan, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to, building on what you said earlier, and these the kind of these conversations that we, we do at Teach Different, that's exactly what we're trying to do. You know, yeah. these are not debates. The, the goal of a debate is to win, all right? Yeah. The goal of a conversation is to understand 
each other. I mean, that, that's what we need more of, especially now. So I, I love the, the synergy between what you guys are doing and, and what we're doing. It's, it's, very, it's, it's very cool how it, how it connects. Well, this has been a, a really wonderful conversation. I, I think we touched on a lot of great ideas here with the Dalai Lama. We touched on a little bit of happiness and discipline. And, and I think we gave good oxygen to the counterclaim. I think we picked it apart in different ways. <laughs> and depending on your audience, you know they're going to come up with different ones. You know, <laughs> you, you never know exactly what you're going to get. But we like to just end it with an essential question and just to take the happiness angle on it. One, one essential question that could come out of this um, would be, do we control our own happiness? Something to, to leave with and to, to reflect upon. So mm -hmm. Laura and, and Evan really, really appreciate you coming on the, on the show. We appreciate your ideas and, you sharing the importance of compassionate leadership with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a joy. Total joy and pleasure and really honoring all the work you guys do. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. We hope you're walking away feeling energized by some great ideas and are confident that conversations like this are possible. with just a little bit of planning and a three-step routine. Make sure you go to teachdifferent.com to learn more and try out some conversations we have already for you. Don't forget to teach different with conversations and make a difference every day.